Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Wayman Wednesday. That means you're about to hear a message from the founder of our fellowship, Pastor Wayman Mitchell. Even though he entered into his reward and is in the presence of our Lord, we still need to hear his clarion call to faithfulness, holiness, discipleship, and commitment to the cause of Christ. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. say that uh, since I've been back, I hear some of the most fantastic stories that these men to give take offerings that I've ever heard. <laughs> Classic. Mick Listing is, a, is, a, is an encyclopedia of offering illustrations. First Timothy chapter 1, one of the uh, most historic events uh, concerning a maritime accident was the Titanic that uh, accidentally struck an iceberg and sunk in the Atlantic Ocean. And that's probably one of the most famous uh, accidents maritime uh, in modern history. But most uh, accidents with ships are uh, are not uh, uh, something that uh, accidentally happens. Most of them are a mistake of navigation. In the text that we have, uh, the Apostle Paul, who is very familiar with the language of navigation, uh, paints a picture for us, and as he paints that picture for us, he gives us some instruction, and that instruction is for survival. And survival tonight hinges on our conscience, whether our conscience properly exercises, whether it is intact, whether we maintain it, and whether we obey it is going to determine whether we're going to survive or we're going to make shipwreck our faith. And he touches that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. I want to just read three verses to you this evening says, this charge I, commit, uh, uh, I com- commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to... Blaspheme. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the shipwrecks of life. If I could just pick up on this passage of scripture for a moment. There's a, uh, there's a, uh, a feeling of guilt that is common to the human personality. I, I read a book last year. It's a very interesting book. It was a uh, book written by a uh, so-called Christian psychologist. And uh, it uh, had to do with the feeling of guilt and the the whole book was false assumptions, or at least his, uh, his idea of what false assumptions were uh, in the Christian life. One of those false assumptions, there were ten of those, one of those assumptions was uh, that uh, guilt and shame are good for me. Now, that was a fascinating book to read. It's one of those books I read that I wonder if they've ever read the Bible, but at any rate... Uh, he makes a statement in that book, and this statement is, you won't find any scripture 
in the Bible defining feelings of guilt. So I said, well, I don't know what Bible you're reading. I thought to myself, but you're not reading the same Bible uh, that I'm reading. But his whole philosophy was that uh, counseling uh, and uh, inner healing was something that you needed to uh, continue on and undergo, undergo without end in the Christian life. Your whole sanctification and your maturity totally depended on you periodically being under the care of a counselor and uh, of a psychological-oriented uh, uh, ministry. And as I read that, I, uh, my mind was triggered. I got inspired on this sermon. As I got inspired on that, I uh, began to think of some... There's whole movements. Uh, there's one movement uh, uh, called a Cleansing Stream. This is a movement that claims that 85% of people who attend Christian churches are demon-possessed. And so uh, I've met some, and I was sure they were true, but uh, 85% is quite a high figure, which I don't agree with at all. And uh, this is their approach, is that just simply getting saved and, uh, and uh, beginning to walk the Christian life was insufficient. Uh, and... Uh, uh, I begin to think about a number of instances that uh, uh, that triggered my uh, understanding. I want to examine this issue, uh, the feelings uh, of guilt and shame. They are not good for you. This is the statement he made. Uh, and take this text that we have because Paul underlines this issue for us tonight. And he names two people called Hymenaeus uh, and Alexander. And he says of these two men... Uh, that they've put aside their conscience or they have shoved, actually the feeling, they shoved the feeling of guilt aside or one translation says they have rejected it. And so I want to think about that for a moment with you because this is a very powerful factor in life. In, in the book of 2 Samuel 24 verse 10 is the statement of David. He, you know the story is in the cave of Adullam. Saul comes in there and uh, unbeknownst to Saul, he cuts uh, off a piece of the robe of his garment. Uh, and then afterward, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 24, 10, and David's heart condemned him after he had uh, numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I've done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I've done foolishly. So two places... One is the numbering of the people, and the second is the, is the uh, cutting off of Saul's robe. Both of these uh, named the exact same statement that his heart smote him. Uh, so in other words, uh, there's a feeling of guilt uh, that is produced uh, in him. I had an article from World Magazine uh, last year. Let me share this with you for a moment. It says a young woman student came into a campus pastor's office to ask why she had guilt feelings about living with her boyfriend. The pastor gave the biblical answer, you feel guilty because you are guilty. That's a tremendous insight. Can you say amen? The guilt feelings are a warning that you have to attend to your relationship with God and stop doing what rebels against his will. Of course, we can find cases where people feel guilty for something for which they were not responsible or for something that was not actually wrong. But such cases are exceptional the main reason for guilt feelings is guilt. Much as our culture might want to deny it, guilt remains uh, our underlying problem that produces uh, surface uh, miseries. Uh, 
Now, the Bible gives a history of a number of scriptures and a number of cases. In the Bible, we have the story of Adam and Eve. You know the story, the seed plot of the Bible is the book of Genesis. And the Bible says they sinned against God. And when they sinned against God, in other words, he'd given them instruction. They did not obey that. When they did that, immediately uh, they felt guilt uh, and they tried to hide themselves and cover themselves uh, with, uh, uh, with fig leaves. In the book of Hebrew, chapter 10 and verse 27 makes this statement to us. Uh, For if we sin willfully, after that the, we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain feel, fearful <clears throat> expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour uh, the adversaries. So what we have then is we have something that we're going to examine, which is conscience. Uh, And if the guilt is not resolved in our conscience, uh, then uh, it begins to lead to certain kinds of of tendencies uh, and certain kinds of reactions. Uh, uh, A a famous uh, saying, uh, that I've uh, that I've often uh, remembered, uh, and it has to do with uh, immorality and, and and the breaking of, uh, of vows of fidelity. It says that he who looks behind the door has stood there himself. And I read that and I said, what tremendous insight! Uh, because something happens to a person who has not resolved uh, the feelings of guilt in their own personality. Uh, they become then very critical of other people uh, and uh, they begin to view people with suspicion uh, and there's something that becomes kinked in their personality. You find these people are very critical uh, and the greatest case probably in history uh, is the case in the Bible of Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. The Bible says that uh, he went out he rebelled against his father. He went out and uh, spent his uh, uh, inheritance with righteous living and with harlots. Uh, finally, the Bible says he came to himself, uh, and it says this in Luke 15, verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I'll arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So what we have here then, clearly in the scripture, uh, is an illustration that God has placed something within human personality that we want to examine and that factor is the human conscience. One, one author makes these uh, uh, statements about uh, uh, pop psychology. Says, yet pop psychology has succeeded in convincing many people that guilt feelings are always a bad thing. Supposedly, guilt feelings are a sign of an unhealthy psyche. And we're supposed to get rid of them at the first opportunity by pumping up our self-esteem. Feel good about yourself uh, And then you'll find and lead a happy life. So the recipe goes. I want to talk to you about the voice of conscience this evening. This is a fact of life. I had a pastor that called me today. He just read a book about conscience. He was recommending to me an old book. He said it was written in 1903. But conscience is a very real factor. And we need to examine that because God has placed a foundation uh, 
in every individual, and that foundation is an innate sense uh, of right and wrong. Listen to this quote, uh, if you'll bear with me for a moment. Conscience uh, is not the voice of God in man. Conscience is man's own voice. Conscience in man himself, uh, speaking a moral being to himself. God has placed this voice in man at his creation, and man cannot rid himself of it, uh, even if he would. God himself has ordained and fixed this monitor in man to urge him to do what man knows to be right and refrain him from doing what he regards as wrong. Since God intended man to be a moral being, he endowed him with this moral faculty. Listen to the book of Romans because we find this in various cultures uh, and I'm not going to do an exhaustive uh, expose on this tonight. But historically, this is in every culture. In the book of Romans chapter 4, the apostle Paul writes in verse 14 and says, For when Gentiles uh, who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, uh, their conscience also bearing witness, uh, and between themselves their thoughts uh, excusing or accusing one another. In other words, our conscience is our self-testimony. God has placed uh, this faculty in man at his creation, but this is our own self-testimony bearing witness whether we are doing right uh, or whether we're doing wrong. It is our own uh, moral compass. So here's a caution light as we look at this text for a moment and think about our own application here. Because when we violate our conscience, uh, we are going to make shipwreck our faith uh, and eventually our eternal souls. uh, And this is why Paul writes this. Look at verse 19 for a moment. uh, Because the images of a, a pilot... The pilot is on an ocean uh, or a water-going craft. And uh, if you know anything about uh, ocean-going crafts, even river crafts, uh, that there are dangers that they encounter, and they must have a pilot, and that pilot must keep the ship on course. Uh, Whether this is an ocean-going vessel, uh, they often navigated. uh, They finally developed uh, a sextant where they could shoot the stars and have exact uh, guidance. Uh, Many times uh, in uh, primitive cultures, I remember in the Philippine Islands when I was preaching there, uh, one of the uh, 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 Filipino leaders told me, that he often travels from island to island where you cannot see where you're going uh, uh, many miles. And he said, I always feel safe when I have a pilot with me. Now, this pilot is not someone who has a sextant. Uh, this is not someone who has a compass. This is someone who has an inner sense uh, of direction, and they have practiced that. They can get them safe from island to island. And he said, I always feel safe when I have a pilot uh, with me. So here we have a picture And that picture is someone who has an instrument that can guide them. And that instrument which keeps him on course, such as a compass or such as a sextant, they ignore this, throw it away in the midst of a storm. And as a result of that, they make shipwreck their faith. You cannot bribe your conscience. You may try to fool it. You may use various kinds of trickery. I, I, I have a whole collection of, uh, of illustrations of people who've tried to bribe their conscience. But you can't bribe your conscience. 
Here we have Judas in uh, Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, verse 3. Then Judas, who had betrayed him, Jesus that is, when he saw that he was condemned, uh, he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed uh, and went uh, and hanged himself. Now this is a very, very powerful dynamic. You know the story that uh, at one occasion trying to deceive the Lord Jesus or to trip him up on his words, uh, the scribes and Pharisees brought uh, a woman caught in the act of adultery to him. And they brought him to her hoping uh, that they could trip him up. uh, And uh, Jesus turns uh, and as he turns, he turns and writes on the ground after he said to them, uh, very well, Then uh, if the law says stone her, then you that are without sin, you cast the first stone. He turned around and began to write on the ground. And the Bible says uh, that to a man, every single one of them uh, uh, eventually turned and began to go out. And finally he turns back to the woman and said, where's your accuser? And she says, no man, Lord. And so here we have this business of conscience This business of conscience is very powerful. It is our self-testimony and it uh, operates uh, and the Bible gives a very interesting history. In the Old Testament, uh, there's a prescription given for a man who would suspect that his wife had committed adultery and uh, he uh, uh, couldn't prove that. He was to take this woman to the priest. Uh, The priest was to take some dust uh, from the uh, floor of the the tabernacle uh, and uh, then put holy water in it, put the dust in, uh, give it to the woman to drink. uh, And if she'd committed adultery, uh, she would immediately develop a disease. Uh, Her thigh would rot and she would die. And here now is a very interesting illustration of conscience. There is no biological or chemical reason that dust and water ought to cause uh, any kind of disease. But this is an illustration uh, that the, the uh, uh, reaction of a person uh, who has a guilty conscience uh, begins to compute out in the circumstances of life. Uh, and there's a fascinating history uh, that, uh, uh, that is given to us. Uh, you cannot get away from your conscience. In the book of Genesis, we have uh, Cain. You know the story, Cain murdered his uh, brother Abel. God comes on the scene and says, where's your brother Abel at? He says, where do I know? I'm not my brother's keeper. But judgment came upon this man. And in Genesis chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me uh, will kill me. So here we have conscience powerfully at work, and that conscience is a dominant driving force, uh, and here we have Cain caught in the throes uh, of his conscience. Here's another illustration about uh, Joseph and his brothers. If you're a Bible student, you remember that Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, threw him in a pit, Uh, He was sold to a a band of slave traders, finally winds up in the house of uh, Potiphar. But in the process of time, he's exalted to second under Pharaoh. And uh, in the circumstances of uh, drought and famine, uh, here comes all of his brothers down to Egypt seeking grain. And as uh, uh, the drama goes on, uh, you remember that Joseph took their money. They didn't recognize him. This is 21 years later. 
He hides a cup uh, in uh, one of their sacks, uh, and as he hides it there, then they catch them as they're leaving, uh, and here they are. Their money's back in their sack. The cup is there that does not belong to them, and uh, they bring them back now, and they stand before Joseph, uh, and as they're standing there and they're caught in this, uh, it's very interesting that they come to the conclusion. Remember, your conscience is your self-testimony. They're standing there, and they come to the conclusion This is because of what we did to Joseph. What a powerful statement. Think about that. 21 years later, these men are married. They have families now. Uh, Chapters have passed by. This is long history. It has no direct connection as far as they know with Joseph. uh, But in a crisis of life, suddenly, like fingers poking through a wet paper towel, here comes conscience up to the surface. uh, And they come to an immediate conclusion. This has happened to us uh, because of what we did to Joseph. Now, you can't escape your conscience. There's uh, uh, many, many uh, scriptures. There's many, many uh, uh, stories that are very interesting. I read a fascinating story about a man who uh, was uh, indicted and convicted of murder. He was a young man uh, hitchhiking on a a highway. A man picked him up, a stranger picked him up. He's riding there. And this young man rose up, stabbed this man, killed him, stole his automobile, and finally is apprehended, and he's convicted and sent to prison for life. He maintained he, maintained he did not do this. He's totally innocent. He's in prison for seven years. He's a model prisoner. And uh, finally, he's given some trustee status. Uh, he's working in the, uh, in the prison photo, uh, photo lab. Uh, and as he's working there, he then uh, gets his chance. Uh, and he uh, absconds with some uh, developing fluid or some chemical that are deadly. He imbibes these. Uh, and as he imbibes these, he's dying. On his deathbed then... Uh, He finally confesses uh, that he did kill the man, uh, and then he makes this telling statement. Uh, He says, every night this man comes uh, and sits on uh, the the foot of my bed and talks to me. I mean, that's a fascinating story. This is conscience. See, conscience is your self-testimony. Conscience is something that God has equipped us. It is our self-testimony. And if we try to avoid that or ignore that, it's impossible because you cannot bribe it. You cannot escape it. It is a faculty and the chickens must come home to roost in a violated conscience because God created us in that way. I want to talk to you about the Bible cure for our conscience. Listen to this quote. Somewhere... I read that the loss of the gospel in England uh, took place uh, during a transitional uh, time when the gospel was still preached, uh, but uh, the cross was so bedecked with flowers uh, that no one could see it. What a description of our present situation today. The cross is covered with the flowers of health and wealth, the flowers of felt need sermonettes, and the flowers of political endorsements. We can add to that the flowers of therapeutic endorsements. We can add to that the flowers of entertaining worship services and having lost the message of the cross and its implications, we've lost our greatest potential to rescue this nation. Someone wrote about sin. I just uh, finished a book, A Breviary of Sin. Listen to this quote. 
Sin is a social maladjustment. This is the statement that is made, which misses the mark a million miles. Can you say amen? It's not a social uh, maladjustment, but their, uh, their statement is the feeling of guilt uh, is removed by a psychological approach uh, and a change of behavior. Listen very carefully to what I'm saying. They have 12-step program becoming very popular. I think I, I remarked to the men's discipleship. Alcohol it's Anonymous has invaded the church. Not that the program is evil in itself, but rather that they have left the gospel and now are in a program which changes a person's conduct but does not change their heart. And unless your heart is changed, uh, then you'll never escape the bondage uh, that is there. And it's Isaiah the prophet uh, who utters out these fatal words, Isaiah 51, uh, 20 and 21. The wicked uh, are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, uh, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Uh, there is no peace, as my God, uh, for the wicked. Now, we want a cure for our conscience. And that cure is very, very simple. It's straightforward, and that is engaging God's Word in a spiritual dimension. We, uh, as I said earlier, we are a preaching fellowship. We depend upon not our, our genius, not our slick personality, not our entertaining uh, uh, services, not strobe lights. Not, uh, we depend upon the preaching of the Word of God. And the only cure for a conscience, a conscience that is defiled is that you act in the accordance with the Word of God. And the Apostle Paul refers tonight as he speaks that to an event to Timothy. He's speaking an event in Timothy's life. And that event is in verse 18 when the Holy Spirit has engaged Timothy and he's had an encounter with the word of God and this has done something in his innermost being because spiritual problems demand spiritual cures. Can you say amen? Spiritual problems must have spiritual cures. You cannot change a person's heart by a change of conduct. This is the great delusion that is in the world today. You cannot do that because it will not work. And the biblical imagery is put very plainly before us. And that imagery is that Jesus Christ is the only cure for condemned conscience. Listen to Isaiah chapter 45 verse 22. Look to me and be saved, uh, all you ends of the earth, for I am God uh, and there is no other. Most of you perhaps have heard uh, and read and are familiar with the imagery in the Old Testament uh, of the people who sinned against God. As they sinned against God, uh, serpents come among them. Uh, they begin to be bitten. The people are dying everywhere. Moses cries out to God, God, uh, uh, help the people. Uh, they have sinned, but Lord, uh, help us to find a cure. And in the midst of that, uh, Moses has a cure given, uh, and that Moses is to take an image uh, of, the brazen, of the serpent that is biting them, uh, make a brazen serpent, put it upon a pole, put it in the midst of the camp, and when someone is bitten, uh, bring them, uh, and immediately uh, they will find a healing and a deliverance. Now, Jesus picks this up in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 14, and we find these words. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So here's a very simple cure. And, you, and uh, there are people that will say, it can't be that simple. It is that simple. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? It's not a process that we go through. It's not some kind of ritual. It, it, is, it is not uh, uh, some kind of uh, penance that we go through. It is a simple cure, and that is by faith uh, we engage the Word of God uh, in the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the Bible claims uh, very specifically that will heal what's wrong with us. Now, having said that, uh, I want to think with you concerning the demoniac of the Gadarenes. Jesus and the disciples are around on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It's in the section that's called Gadara. As they're there, there is a demon-possessed man. This man has a legion of demons, uh, which Bible scholars say some 6,000, or it could be a figure of speech. He just got a lot of demons. Uh, he's a loss to society. He cuts himself. Uh, he wails uh, like a wild man. They've tried to restrain him. There's no way that they can have He breaks the bonds. Uh, he's naked. Uh, uh, he's living in the caves. Uh, Jesus passes by. Listen to this fantastic story. Jesus passes by. This man immediately runs and falls at his feet. Now, this is one of the most glorious uh, simplistic statements of the power of Jesus Christ and the power of God to deliver a human being. And the Bible says uh, Jesus cast these demons out of him uh, and this man uh, who before is a total loss to society, he's bound with demonic forces uh, that cannot keep him from coming to Jesus. I want to tell you, nothing can keep you from coming to Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? No demon no addiction, no habit, no frame of mind can keep you from coming to Jesus Christ. Here's this man, totally stark naked, a lost to society, and the minute Jesus comes, he runs and throws himself at his feet. Uh, Jesus heals him. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, uh, verse 35 and 36. Uh, the, the inhabitants come, uh, and they find him clothed and in his right mind. Now, here's the cap of the whole thing. Jesus doesn't say to him, uh, now I want you to uh, uh, go through this therapy and uh, you, get to, you get straightened out. You'll find out what your problem is. His problem was demons. I want you to go through this recovery program. And uh, as you go through that, what did he say to him? The man says, Jesus, I want to follow you right now and be your disciple. He said, no, I want you to go home and I want you to tell all your friends and family what the Lord has done for you. No follow-up program, no visitation ministry, no taking about 40 times for hamburgers, <laughs> no running them through any, a genuine salvation and deliverance changes this man's life, uh, and this is the cure for every personality. Thanks be unto God. Can you say Amen. You see, in this building tonight, uh, Jesus Christ has the power to save. To be saved means that uh, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, and he brings you that deliverance. We could, uh, we could uh, give uh, instance after instance. I spoke to the men in the discipleship class. Here we have uh, a Philippian jailer. 
Can you imagine what a jailer would have been in Bible days? Uh, the corruption, the, the corrupt and foul personality that, that, that winds up in prison. Many of them are, are, are the curses of society. They're twisted. They're bent. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about people who uh, uh, go to jail and prison. None of them are guilty. You know that, don't you? It's all a bum rap. They've been misunderstood. They've been caught. I, you know, I, I, one time I, I ran a red light and, and, uh, and had an accident. Uh, a Harley Davidson T-boned me. Boom! It was a beautiful sight. The rider went, boom, boom, on the head and down, and I'm, 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 I'm stunned. So I had, to go to, I had to go to school. In the school, there's about uh, anyone in America that, uh, that has an accident uh, or is caught running a red light, they have to go to sc- driving school. Three, three days, three nights. And so uh, here I am, and I'm in there with about uh, 20, maybe 25 people. None were guilty but me. <laughs> Not a single soul was guilty in that old, hey, you know that cop he was hiding there, you know, yeah, you know, this is, the, oh, you know, and I'm listening to all this, and, uh, and, I, and it was a wonderful education. I was the only guilty one in the whole bunch. Well, imagine this jailer. He's dealing with corrupt, foul, perverse human personality. And you know, uh, that can tend to make you a little cynical about people. Can you say amen? Plus, as a sinner, you would begin to exploit people like that and so on. And so this man, as an earthquake comes, a a glorious uh, event happens. He thinks he's dead. He thinks all the prisoners are gone. The bars are all open and he runs in and Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. He's going to commit suicide. That we're all here. And then this man says these tremendous words. What must I do to be saved? Here's the answer. Go to school for six weeks. Uh, go do penance. Climb up these stairs. Walk on your knees. Uh, go down to uh, south of the border into Mexico. And the, and the, uh, the saint is there. Go. None of these things. The simple answer is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and you'll be saved in your house. What a wonderful gospel. Can you say amen? What a wonderful God. Here's the only cure for a guilty conscience. You'll not cure a guilty conscience by any acts of penance. You'll not cure a guilty conscience by any kind of uh, religious activity. The only thing that will cure a guilty conscience uh, is the precious blood of Jesus Christ applied as you engage that uh, by faith. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. 
And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.